So that inner world, recognizing that inner world and what's going on for us is the, the first step, sort of tuning into it, being able to notice and then not react, but pause and then respond in a different kind of way. And of course, noticing all these thoughts that are going on in our head is it's tricky and it's tricky for a number of reasons. I mean, people reckon we have between 12 and 60,000 thoughts a day. Well, that is a lot of thoughts going in our head. I've often said I like this kind of like idea that if we imagine our thoughts are like little puppies running wild in our head. <laughs> oh my goodness, what would that be like? It'd be like chaos. Hello and a very warm welcome to Successful Student Transitions, a podcast hosted by me, Louise Wiles and Elizabeth Gillies. Our aim is to support you as you step out, find your new gear and thrive in the next stage of your life. Perhaps you're making a move to university, a year abroad, a work placement or out into the world of work. This podcast is for you. So today, how is your inner world? Did the puppy analogy ring true for you? Today we're talking about our inner world of thought and emotion and why we respond as we do when making change and transition in our lives and how we can learn to tame our inner world so that the puppies are not quite so chaotic. We hope that you enjoy this podcast. Please remember to follow the podcast by clicking on the follow button through the podcast app of your choice. Thank you so much. Now on with this episode. Hi and welcome, it's Elizabeth Gillis and Louise Wells here and we're going to be discussing today our inner world and how important that is in times of transition and I hope it catches your attention. When we start to talk about our inner world, what does it make you think, what does it make you feel? Because that is your inner world, you know, about the things that are going on inside you. You might be thinking, oh that sounds a bit curious or I wonder what this will be about or oh, gosh maybe my mind's a bit of a mess so those would be your thoughts and maybe you'd be feeling oh I'm going to say calm somebody's going to be talking about something something you know peaceful for me or maybe I'm even noticing some tension in my shoulders or butterflies in my tummy so there we are we're thinking about thoughts and feelings and and we're going to put a word of caution in this, this particular podcast, because if it starts to make you feel uncomfortable or think, oh, no, I don't think I can handle this. We want you to notice that. And, you know, you don't have to listen to this. This is a choice you can make. This is a general introduction to your inner world. Um it might be really useful for a lot of people. For some people, it might be they want to talk to somebody more on a one-to-one -one basis with it. So it's a great thing to notice, yeah, is this going to be good for me to listen or listen? Or it might be a bit tricky for me. So you could just kind of put it on hold. Because when we're talking about thinking and feeling as part of your inner world, those things are drivers of what we do. Um, sometimes maybe we're not so aware of our thoughts and feelings. And I'm going to choose this word in particular, and we react to things. And we're going to be thinking a little bit more today about making responses to our thoughts and feelings. So learning to notice, name, respond to our inner world is a valuable skill. And it's something you can learn to do. And that's what today is going to be about. And we touched on this in a previous episode when we talked about minding your mind, when we were just talking about minds. But today we're going to be talking about minds and bodies. So if you want to go back to listen to that one, uh, minding your mind, a good thing to do. So let's start off talking about your inner world at this time of transition. Um, it's common for us to maybe have a lot more going on in our in our inner world um, at times of transition because remember we talked about it being part of our evolutionary past to be on the lookout for threat and danger, thinking about oh all these uncertainties, unknowns, 
thinking about, am I going to make this change? Am I feeling anxious? I might even be excited and, you know, thrilled about the change. Um, so looking for that threat and danger might be heightened at times of, of transition. Louise, what do you what are you kind of noticing when I'm talking about threat and danger <laughs> in times of change going on? Well, I certainly can relate to those. And I'm, I'm just thinking that when I, yeah, the times I've moved, sort of made international moves, some of those emotions have co- coexisted. So I've been excited about new beginnings, but also um, felt quite challenged about many aspects and concerned about aspects of it. So I think it's important to say that those emotions can coexist. And yeah. you, know, you can feel those a duality, if you or even a polarity, if you like, of emotions. Yeah. 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 People talk about that conflicting of emotions, mm. like, and it can be confusing. How can I feel happy and nervous, or how can I feel sad and excited? So mm. it can be confusing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's really important to point that out because if you're about to start a new job, you're probably anticipating that it's going to be, yeah, new and therefore a bit challenging. But you're probably excited about it. The same if you're planning and preparing or you're just arriving at university you'll have those mixed feelings too and that's that's normal and in fact there's a very useful framework created by David Rock called the SCARF framework that explains why we can react with this polarity of response in social situations we now know that some aspects of our social experience and our response to our social experience draws on the same brain networks as those used for primary survival needs So when we experience a new situation, for example, moving into new accommodation for university or a new job, our brain will quickly and subconsciously decide whether it's good or bad. Will it provide a pleasant experience? Will it be rewarding, meaning we want to engage more? Or is there more of a threat involved, meaning we want to disengage and move away? The basic response to this stimuli is primal, driven by our survival mechanism. And it's our amygdala that has the role of remembering whether we should approach or avoid. And the strength of our response to a situation will depend on the response from our amygdala, so how strong that response is. So in social situations, the same thing will happen. And David Rock suggests there are five domains that can activate this primary threat reward circuitry. And they are status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. So the first letters of these five words spell scarf, hence the mnemonic, mnemonic scarf. So let's go through each one. So first of all, status. So for our ancestors, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, status and position in a group or tribe impacted longevity. And status is still important for us today. I'm sure you can relate to that. When we feel we are better than others in some way or or our status is recognised, we receive a dopamine hit. And when we have our status threatened, our threat response is triggered lighting up the same areas of our brain as physical pain. So if you think about moving into a new job, university, and the transition period that follows, there is a challenge to our sense of status and identity in the world. In our old world, we knew where we stood. We had people who hopefully respected us, supported us. In our new world, we have to find our feet and create this new sense of status. And as a result, it may feel threatening. We may think no one understands me, no one listens to me. And from an academic perspective, you may find you've gone from being one of the best in your old school college to one of many who are all pretty good. And you're having to find your new status within that new peer group. So it's useful to be aware of this and to notice if you're feeling threatened to ask yourself, is this because my sense of status in this new world is threatened? Second one is C for certainty. So the brain circuitry is constantly trying to predict the future. The brain likes patterns. We all like to feel we know what is coming. In our old lives, there would be a familiar env- environment, familiar routine, familiar people. 
But starting in a new place, there's a lot of newness and there's a lot of uncertainty. Transitions are times of uncertainty, and that's part of the excitement, but also part of the challenge. So where we feel uncertainty, we may feel threatened. And to counter this, we can look for opportunities to create some certainty. So one area would be creating new routines. And our student voices in episodes 11 to 15, quite a few of them talked about the importance of routine and how it helped them to feel settled. Also getting to know the environment, the geography of your new location and home and working out the academic expectations and the logistics of coursework and how it's all going to function. And I'm sure you can think of more. So remember, yeah, build in some certainty, but also remember to be flexible as well. Life is full of surprises. We can't be certain of everything. And so it's important to be able to flex when we need to as well. Autonomy. That's the A in SCARF. Now, this relates to our perception of exerting control over our environment and the sense of having choices and being able to make choices. So if you're moving away from home for the first time, perhaps to university a year abroad, this is likely to be one of the real areas of growth as you move into more independent living and personal responsibility. You will be making daily choices about how you live your life in ways perhaps you have never had to in the past. This can feel exciting, but also overwhelming. So take it gently. But it's also really important part of developing our ability to live well, accepting the role we have in determining our own future. And when that autonomy is threatened and we lose it, that can also be a real threat to our well-being too. The R in scarf is relatedness. So as humans, we like to be members of tribes and groups to have a sense of belonging. We need safe human contact to thrive. And initially in this move, this transition, you'll know very few people and that can feel challenging, perhaps threatening. Stepping out to create new friendships and meet new people can feel challenging and perhaps threatening. But the good thing is, as we meet people, talk more and build connections through shared interests, activities, etc., we build trust, and this will help support us through the transition experience. And I really recommend you go back and listen to two of the episodes we've created on relationships. And the final letter in SCARF is F for fairness. Now, I'm sure we can all remember times as a child when things didn't feel fair, and we told people so, didn't we? That's not fair. That's a standard childhood response to things and situations. You know, if we feel an experience or exchange is unfair, we will experience a threat response. If we perceive others as unfair, that can lead to a lack of empathy, which impacts on our ability to connect and collaborate. So watch what you label as unfair and ask yourself why you see it that way. It is the perception of unfairness that is key here. So it's the perception, not the reality. So that's why we need to sort of think about how we're thinking, what we're thinking, and question ourselves. So perhaps pause the podcast here and answer the following questions. How is status impacting on how you react and respond to your new environment and social interactions? How is the status of others, perceived or otherwise, impacting on how you interact with them? How are you becoming familiar with your new life and environment? How important is routine to you? You That varies from person to person. We all need routine to different levels. How does it feel to have this level of independence and autonomy? What do you enjoy about it? What feels challenging? And what can you do about that? What are you doing to build new trusting friendships? And how often do you find yourself saying or thinking that something or someone is not fair? You know, the overall benefit of keeping an eye on these five areas is that if you feel threatened in any one or all of these areas, it's likely to impact on how you interact, how you focus, how you think and concentrate academically, and ultimately how you work through the transition period. And when we feel threatened, 
we're less likely to engage well academically and socially. So it's worth thinking through and being aware. And, and for us today, for Louise and I, talking to you about these things, it's kind of raising your awareness of stuff so that you can know what, what these things mean for you and then take some action. So it's common for us to you know, look out for threat and danger. It's often common for us um, to compare ourselves with other people to make sure, you know, the function of it is to make sure that we're working at fitting in, we're making connections, all that kind of community stuff we're building um, so that we're part of something because that's going to help us survive. So noticing, you know, if going on in your head is, you know, oh, I'm not making friends, other people are making better friends than I am, Um they're they're all I'm feeling a bit kind of rejected I'm feeling a bit lonely because that group over there they all seem to be connecting really well so that's a kind of quite a common thing at this beginning of a transition too yeah yeah and that relates completely back to the scar framework I've just shared because you know status if you're feeling that you you know you may not consciously be thinking this but if you imagine you know in your previous school or college you know, perhaps you were house captain, sports captain, head person. Um, and then you have in this new environment, you don't have any of those roles, if you like, that sense of status. Um, you know, teachers perhaps saw you as strong and capable and you sensed that and felt that and felt rewarded for that. But now in this new environment, no one knows you. No one knows that about you. And, and so that can feel threatening because you just don't have that feedback from people. But there's you know, a logical reason for it. So you know, we can talk to ourselves about that, know that that will change over time. You know, and the same with relatedness. You, know, you had your set of friends in your previous community, you still have them. They're still part of that matrix that we talked about in the relationship session. So remind yourselves of that. Um, but obviously in the new situation, for all the reasons Elizabeth has des- described, it can feel a bit threatening. So we're on the lookout for threat and danger. We're comparing ourselves with other people. And often, you know, um, we'll be replaying situations over and over. We've talked about that before because you're trying to problem solve. You're trying to kind of work out if you need to do anything different to kind of fit in. But sometimes we can overdo it. So you might be replaying conversations and being really critical, noticing that inner critic, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I should have said this and said, what will they be thinking about me? There's a bit of comparison as well. And you might be feeling confused about how do you talk? When will when it be my turn? You know, um, be kind of uh, just not knowing when to listen and how and how to talk. So all this kind of stuff's going on, which can make, you know, this inner world can make it really hard for us at at these times of transitions. And we've got to know it's normal and might be especially high for you at times of change. Um, Thoughts and feelings might also return from previous transitions we've made. And it can a little bit reverberate in our system, especially if it hasn't gone well. If it's gone well, we'll tend to forget about it. But if there's negativity around there there's things that we have to pay attention to our mind and our body will keep reminding us of that so having that awareness of our inner world is the first step isn't it Louise yeah yeah and I was just going to say I think at this stage what might be helpful in this situation just thinking about social comparison thinking about you know what has gone wrong in times of transition in the past flip it and, and think to yourself, well, what went right? You know, what what did I do that really worked well, that helped me to make friends, that um, helped me to settle in those new situations in the past? And write down a list and get your brain thinking about, you know, what I can do, what my strengths were in that situation, because that will help you. Yeah. So that inner world, recognising that inner world and what's going on for us is the the first step sort of tuning into it being able to notice and then not react but pause and then respond in a different kind of way of course noticing all these thoughts that are going on in our head is it's tricky and it's tricky for a number of reasons 
I mean, people reckon we have between 12 and 60,000 thoughts a day. Well, that is a lot of thoughts going in our head. I've often said I like this kind of like idea that if we imagine our thoughts are like little puppies running wild in our head, <laughs> oh, my goodness, what would that be like? It'd be like chaos. Um and the interesting thing about having all these thoughts, that 90 to 95% of them, people think, researchers think, they are the same thoughts. So we're having the same thoughts over and over again. Like, you know, they're often not the I'm good at this. They're normally the what if thoughts or, you know, I won't be able to do it because that's what our mind naturally does. Um, and sit because 60 to 70 percent of the thoughts are negative and they're there to help us survive. So, gosh, what a lot of things to notice. Um, and remember that our mind it has that negativity bias. So, you know, there's a lot to notice and there's a lot of negative things that are going on for us. Um, and as well as there's a lot going on in our head. One of the things that we might get into is we might start to view our thoughts as truths. Now, for many of you, you might think, what? Well, all that stuff that's going on in my head isn't true. Um, it's some kind of activity. Our thoughts are there. We keep talking about this as survival. It's, you know, their thoughts are there to keep us safe. Watch out for this, Elizabeth. Be careful for that, Elizabeth. But sometimes... You know, if we get kind of hooked on these things because they're repetitive all the time, we can start to kind of believe that it's true. Okay, so take a moment to write down some thoughts and they can be pleasant ones or unpleasant thoughts. So we don't have to be always focusing on the, the unpleasant things. Notice what thoughts you've got about leaving school or if you're in this transition and approaching change. So Write down some thoughts about yourself. That's the first thing to do. And write down some thoughts about other people. It might be about other people who are making a similar change to you. It might be other people that you have good relationships with. It might be people in your community. And then I want you to write down thoughts about the place you're going to. Okay. Um, so it might be, you know, for me, I'm worried about making friends or something like that. So I want you to take one of the thoughts you've got and we're going to have a little experiment with it. So I hope you're doing the same as well, Louise. So take one of those thoughts and either say this in your head or write it down. Put some words before the thought. So if my thought was, I'm worried about making friends, I want you to put something before that. There's the thought that. So for me, it would be, there's the thought that I'm worried about making friends. Okay. Try it with another one now. Try it with maybe thoughts about the place. There's the thought that this place is a long way from home. So what I'm giving you is an experience of observing your thoughts rather than being your thought, you're observing it. A bit like if you were imagining a stage and your thoughts and your feelings might be on the stage and you're sitting in the audience and your thoughts and feelings are gonna change, but you're in the audience observing them. Louise, what was your example? Did you, <laughs> can you give us one? Okay, what so did you I heard about Everyone, everyone looks and sounds much more together on social media than me. And then I right. think, there's the thought that everyone looks and sounds more, much more together on social media than me. And then the place was, I know I'll get the worst room. <laughs> and then I put, then there's the thought, 
I know I'll get the worst room. Was there a difference for you? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a distancing, isn't it? And it's, I think there's the thought makes you think, oh, yeah, okay, it's just a thought. It's not reality. And also what a weird thought <laughs> as I afterwards, you know, I reflect on it. Yeah. Why, yeah. why would I think that? Also, given that I've then distanced myself from it, I then immediately went to say, well, what can I do? Yeah, so yeah. if I get the worst room, yeah, I can cope with that. I'll so it started a problem start thinking, Yeah. Mm-hmm. What can I do about it? I, I, it's just really, I mean, sometimes even just writing it down gets it out of your head, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So putting it down on paper and you st- you can you can see it from a distance so it maybe creates that that kind of um you know it's not part of you it's something that can be outside of you and once it's outside of you you can start to notice it yeah okay? mm-hmm. and it might be as well that if we did this quite a lot you might start to notice patterns and they could be helpful patterns or they could be unhelpful patterns. You know, that's a thought that I keep having. You know, if, we, if we're if we saying that 60, uh, 19 to 95% of our thoughts are the same thoughts, well, you know, you say, there's one of those thoughts that I keep coming up with. Is that helpful for me or not helpful for me? Um, there's also kind of a really nice body of research from Carol Dweck about patterns of beliefs Thoughts and beliefs are kind of like intertwined, aren't they? Um, And there are kind of two types of, she comes up, she's got two kind of ways of thinking about our mindset in relation to ourselves. And the first is, you know, I'm good at things. I'm good at something. Let's just take maths, for example. Um, I'm always good at maths. I do well. I achieve well. It really comes naturally for me. I'm gifted in maths, right? And this is known as something called a fixed mindset. There's a fix in the belief that your intelligence, your abilities and talents are innate and unchangeable. It's just the way it is. It's fixed. And then her second type of mindset is a growth mindset, where there's a belief that your achievements come with hard work and perseverance, something that can be developed over time. You know, that maths test, I was kind of, I worked really hard. Um, there were there were things that I knew that were going to really challenge me. And I focused on that bit in particular. And I got some help with it and somebody kind of talked me through it. And I really kind of started to understand it a lot better. So there's a clear difference about improvement and change there. That if you're working working hard, you can make things happen. Um, so be thinking about your mindset in this time of transition, you know, and often our mindset is often is apparent in how we respond to failure. So if you've got a fixed mindset, mistakes and failures are painful and difficult because that goes to the heart of who you are. However, with a growth mindset, failure is seen as an opportunity to learn, to change, a time to, oh, ouch, that hurt when that happened, but you're going to bounce back quite quickly. Um, so if we were to take a, a moment and think about a recent challenge, what would it say about your mindset? Is it fixed or growth? Is it a bit of both? Is it one or the other? What would you say about that? Have you had a challenge recently, even around a transition or something, Louise, that you could notice your mindset? Oh, um, around the transition. Yeah, actually, I suppose, you know, I've, yeah, I guess you know, life is a constant flow of different transitions, isn't it? And you know, I have quite elderly parents, probably don't mind me, well, they probably hate me saying elderly, but they are. <laughs> um, and they've had a bit of ill health recently. And it's kind of this transition sense that we are moving to that kind of elderly stage. And, and yeah, I've just realised as I was listening to you that my mindset around it had been quite fixed. It was been... Um, it's just a t- difficult to deal with and painful um and you know perhaps I haven't dealt with it in the best way 
but I hadn't applied a growth mindset to it. So it made me think, actually, there are opportunities here as well, because I need to go and see them more frequently, which actually means I get to spend more time with them, which is, is a bonus and a positive side of, of it all um, and to deepen that relationship. So there is, yeah, growth to be had in that and to see it from a different perspective, yeah. So interesting in that kind of example that you gave us, thanks, Louise, that you could, when you started to think, well, how am I thinking there? So that noticing the mindset and knowing that actually your mindset is not fixed, fixed, that there are ways that you can change you, you know, you can you can change things. So you're not stuck with a fixed mindset. There are ways to grow and, and change it. So, you know, the 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 idea that our brain is always developing. And once we notice if if we've got some thoughts or um our mindset about some things, we can we can change it. Um so that's the, a really important thing to notice that neurons that fire together wire together don't they that the paths that we build and the things that we do create the mind that we have yeah yeah and I've just thought of another transition and it's it's probably more relevant to people of your age listening to this my daughter's 17 she's been learning to drive I've spent hours in the car with her she's got her test next Wednesday and today was the last day of her school term and I took her to school and as I drove back, I reflected on the fact that this is probably one of the last times that I will spend that amount of time looking, you know, taking her to school. And I was feeling quite sad. Um, but actually, if I now apply a growth mindset to that, you know, it's going to give me a lot more time. <laughs> I wouldn't have to spend hours in the car anymore. Um, it gives her her independence and sort of growth in that way too. So there are positive ways to see this as well. So that's kind of a parental transition, you know, as she moves through the stages of teenage years and, and to independence. Yeah. And nice you using some, what people would call some growth mindset talk, Louise, <laughs> about, you know, um, this is going to this is going to give me opportunities to do something I haven't done before. Um, you know, I can learn to do these other things. Um, you know, I like that word. Yet, you know, is a great growth mindset word. Like I haven't just got it yet. You know, if you were learning to drive, for instance, you say I'm learning at it. I'm practicing you know, this is my fifth lesson or something like that. You know, I'm not, I'm going to get it yet. Yeah. yeah. I've got, I've got a post-it on my computer with just the word yet on it to yeah. remind me. Yes. Yeah. So the power of yet is a, is a great thing. And I, you know, when we're talking about drivers there, you know, as well, we'll go along with that metaphor. I like the idea of having an inner coach where so aware that we've got an inner critic oh Elizabeth don't do that watch out for doing this be careful of doing that our inner coach would be the one that's cheering you on with exactly that those words you know you're nearly there you've almost got it just another try keep on going um the things that are going to keep you going um is a really you know is a is a as a way to really develop that mindset um and, you know, another thing that I think that developed my mindset towards some things um, around change was to reward my effort in something. Because, you know, if we've got that fi fixed mindset, we're looking more at the outcome, the achievement, but it's the effort and the progress that we're making is really important. Mm -hmm. And I know I had to write something at a point and I had a really – um, um, big deadline to make and I was really procrastinating highly around getting it done and I kind of made a pact with myself um, there was something that I wanted um, it was a little a small bit of jewellery it wasn't that expensive uh, and I decided when I get it done I'm going to buy myself that and so I was rewarding my effort of getting down to be this uncomfortable thing that, you know, I needed to do, I had to do. And so that kind of helped me recognize my effort to do something. So we, we've spent some time about thinking about our mind. And of course, our mind doesn't exist in isolation. You know, our mind is part and parcel of our body. 
there's a lot of kind of neuroscience work that's linking up this really quite strongly. So our inner world is also about our body sensations. We're primed to, you know, to feel things. We're primed to, you know, have that fight, flight, freeze response, you know, to protect us. It's really important that it works really quickly in our body far before our thinking brain works you know we've got ourselves our body's got primed into action to you know fight or you know blood uh, blood pumping into our legs to be able to run away so we have to know that that's part of parcel of our our body sending us signals about what we're going to do um and often those signals our body signals are heightened in those new situations and a bit like the scarf thing that you know louise was talking about early earlier so important to know that that's a natural response and also important to know that we can work to settle or safe and social would be the kind of psychological words we do so we have to be thinking about body sensations as signals to alert us to our inner world. And there's some really lovely research um, on where we feel emotions in our body. It's called body mapping. Um, and just think about our language when we talk about where we connect our body and our feelings. We might think, oh, I had cold feet about that. That was a gut reaction or, you know, um, I, that sent a shiver down my spine or something like that. So linking where we feel in our, 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 our you know, physical feelings and emotional feelings in our bodies connected. So you might be thinking about, let's then cue into the location and, and intensity of feeling in our body can be a helpful thing to do, just like leaning into your thoughts. Um so take a moment now just to think about maybe the last time you were anxious. Do you know where it was? Can you locate it? Can you put a hand on where it was in your body? Um, I'm going to be putting my hand on my chest <laughs> because that's where I feel my anxiety. I mean, sometimes people will feel it in their throat. Sometimes people might feel it in their tummy. I don't know. Where do you notice your anxiety in your body, Louise? Um, I'm really thinking here because I, I, I know it used to be in my stomach, definitely. Um, but I think sometimes when I'm feeling anxious, I kind of go into overdrive. It's a really bizarre thing. So it kind of feels like my whole body is alert and I, mm. and I suddenly actually click in and get something that's been I shouldn't you know I've been needing for ages to do done it's quite a strange thing it it's almost a clarity of yeah. of yeah and a feel that I just need to get on and do 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 yeah, yeah. so it, that's a really nice really good explanation there about you know not ignoring the signal but paying attention to the signal mm -hmm. the signal's trying to tell me something you know um and then doing something about it, not, not ignoring it. Um, because often we can play down those signals, our body signals in particular, um, and maybe even be given messages like, you know, if you said to someone going to work or university, I'm really nervous, I'm feeling really nervous, and my, my body and my tummy is really feeling nervous about making friends. Have you heard that kind of, these words saying back to you, oh, you shouldn't be nervous. You've always been good at making friends and everybody will be in the same boat. So the message is, you know, out of love, likely consideration, but it's a message that also says, don't trust your feelings. Mm. So we have to be careful about that. So what Louise and I are saying here is do trust your feelings you know, sometimes they might be heightened, especially at times of transitions, but it's about how we respond to these signals is really important. So a little bit like responding to our thoughts, notice a name, and the work that um, that Louise was talking about earlier by David Rock, he has been, has written a lot about noticing and naming things that 
once we notice, oh, there's that thought or there's that feeling in my body, there's that anxiousness in my tummy, being able to know what it is and name it, it kind of has the intensity of it. Mm -hmm. So getting into practice doing that, well, there's the tension in my shoulders. There's that Uh, heaviness in my feet. And I think that isn't there some evidence that writing down your feelings and reactions as well and seeing it on paper and getting paper. out of you is really helpful. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I give people a kind of body map and we colour in <laughs> where those things are in the body so you can see it not in you, but in something else. So, again, it's creating that little bit of a distance. But being able to notice and name how that you're feeling in your body is a really important thing. And when it kind of starts to maybe get a little bit overwhelming for you, remember it's there as a survival mechanism. It's saying, I'm anxious about going into this new group of people that I don't know. And we can say that's normal, you know. We can understand that. That's part and parcel of what it is. But it might be partly just being present with yourself instead of, you know, jumping off and trying to avoid things, which we often do when we're anxious or or to be thinking ahead and worrying about things, just to ground yourself. And maybe you've you've known some grounding techniques, a bit like, you know, if you really, if you're sitting down, if you're standing, just pushing your feet really, really hard into the floor can be a good thing to do. Just to kind of feel that you're connected with something. Um, maybe not necessarily connected with all that kind of feeling in your body, but connecting with something kind of with you and your body outside of your body. Or you might have heard of something called five senses where we look at things outside of ourselves, particularly like thinking of five things you can see, four things you can touch and feel, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. And often when you go through something like that or pushing your feet into the floor for a period of time, it kind of helps you feel a little bit more connected with yourself and connected in the present. And the other thing that I really like to do is when our bodies get a little bit overwhelmed with feelings like this is do some breathing. Um, I can't remember if we've done breathing before. I think we have done breathing before. Yeah, can't remember which one. But um, in particular, I choose four six breathing. The longest nerve in our body is the vagus nerve. It's vagus because it's a vagrant. It wanders from our bottom base of our brainstem round our lungs, our stomach, a lot of our organs, and it gets activated when we get gets fight flight. Our breathing's shallow. Um, You know, the blood's going away from our tummy. That's why we feel those butterflies and things. But when we want to activate safe and social, if we're breathing in shorter than we're breathing out long breath, like so breathing in for a count of four, and then it'd be like one, two, three, four, and then out for a count of six. And I say breathing out like you're blowing out my birthday candles. One, two, three, four, five, six. That can really kind of help your vagus nerve go back into that safe and social place where when Louise was talking about the scarf, that's where we want to be making those connections with other people. Movement's another way you can just kind of go back to making your body feel a bit like yours, a bit calmer. So walking, getting up, moving, stretching, rocking. Um, they're all good things that you can do to kind of notice that body and body kind of um, the things that are going in your body and then kind of calming it down again. So the overall kind of like thing we're saying today is notice what's going on for you. If you try and capture and observe, rather than be the thought and feeling, you're going to create a little bit of distance from it. And you're going to loosen that connection and relationship with it and create a different kind of relationship. You'll move from that disruption 
in your thoughts and feelings to a little bit more settled. Um, so, you know, um, don't disregard them. They're there as signals for you. Give attention to them and then choose what you want to do. Um, I want to remind you of that notion, the notion of feeling settled of that transition cycle about what your mind and body and behavior will do and then get you back to settled. And to take us back to our bucket, what are the thoughts and feelings that drain your bucket? You know, when you're in a social situation and people are going through this change, especially at university, having people around you feeling a little bit of that upheaval might kind of influence your, your drains as well. But more importantly, we'd like you to be thinking about what your thoughts and feelings, what your fillers of your bucket. So how you can notice your thoughts. And just like Louise said, oh, I'm starting to, when I'm writing them down, I'm starting to think about what I can do. Or when I'm going through some change, I'm remembering when I've made a good change before, rather than focus on the negative. I'm noticing how I can kind of like, calm my body down when I've got some of those anxious feelings. So take it time to write them down. We've talked about writing down things, have a plan. And the good thing is about when you've got a plan, have a regular time that you can check in with it. I like this idea of Dan Siegel's is monitor and modify. Monitor how you're settling in. Monitor how your help, your thoughts, your inner world's helping you, your thoughts and your feelings are helping you. Because in this transition time, in all those busy things you've got to do, it's really important to have a check-in with yourself. Have a time to reflect on how things are going and know the strategies that work for you. Kind of know those things that you're going to be able to add into your own well-being bucket and maybe even help some other people too. And in, in relation to the PERMA that we try and end with, Louise, um, so the P is about the positive emotions that we can bring ourselves, isn't it? Yeah. So this is a really important reason for yeah thinking about how we are thinking and how we are feeling and perhaps noticing the positive ones and drawing our attention to them. For, for me, what Elizabeth says about noticing your thoughts and, and feelings and not saying, oh, they have to go away, I can't have those, but just noticing that they exist and then thinking about something different. And so, you know, with your negative emotions, which will undoubtedly arise, you know, notice them. Self-compassion is really important here. So, you know, recognising that they have value and a place, but perhaps a different kind of, thought might be more useful at a certain point and, and then suggesting that to yourself and, and perhaps also noticing those emotions. So yes, you're feeling slightly anxious about a new experience, but probably also excited. The E in PERMA is about engagement. So we have to engage with our inner world and not ignore it because it's there giving us messages of the things we need to pay attention to and focus on. So, and if you engage with it, your inner world you're likely going to be engaging better with your outer world as well um relationships if you engage with your inner world your relationship with yourself is going to be far better and your relationships with other other people with friends being able to be in that authentic self that you are um the meaning that your inner world gives you will be really important. The meaning that our inner world is there helping us navigate through difficult times. It's there to try and help you know, us do well. It's not out to always kind of trick us up, but it's there to help us know the things that we have to do and give us that purpose and, and the way to go forward. And our inner world should also be there for the A bit too, to help us feel that we can achieve these things. You know, our inner world is, is there to support and help us make progress. It's not there to kind of tell us the worst of ourselves or, or be that critic. It can, we can choose it to be a coach for us too. 
So the perma yeah. works really nicely with it as well, Louise, doesn't it? I think so. And I think it's on the accomplishment front. You know, we can teach ourselves to look for the positive in what we achieve day to day. And I think we're notoriously bad at doing that. You know, we're more likely to tell us 10 things we didn't achieve than 10 things we did. So flipping that and finishing the day, perhaps by listing some of the accomplishments will help us train our brain to spot them and note them more frequently. Thanks for listening. Look, at, look after your inner world. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye for now. See you next week. So thank you so much for listening. You know, learning to respond rather than react to our thoughts and emotions is such a valuable skill. But it's one that takes time and practice. And it's hugely helpful, especially in times of transition, when those puppy thoughts of doubt and uncertainty can create chaos as we react to the challenges of our new situations. I'm going to share some further resources, but before I do, please follow this podcast on your podcast app of choice and share this episode and podcast with any friends and connections you think will also benefit from the content. So on to the resources. This episode is part of series three, where each episode addresses one aspect of what we call the fundamentals for wellbeing. So if you're new to the podcast, you can listen to the introductory episodes to the series. Listen to episode 21, introducing the series, episode two, the Wellbeing Foundations and PERMA, which you've just heard us talk about at the end of this podcast, and episode 23, The Wellbeing Bucket. Now, in this episode, we introduced the SCARF framework to you, created by David Rock, and you can learn more by reading his book, Your Brain at Work, Strategies for Overcoming Distraction, Regaining Focus and Working Smarter All Day Long. And finally, we mentioned a few other past episodes that you may like to take a listen to, Episode 28, Wellbeing Fundamentals, Relationships That Matter. Episode 9, Nurturing Supportive Relationships. And Episode 3, Minding Your Mind. So that's all for today. We hope you have a great week and we'll be back next week when we'll be talking about meaning and mattering on why this is so fundamental for our well-being. And now for the legal bits. The information contained in this podcast is for information purposes only. The content is not intended to act as a substitute for professional advice. Please do not delay in seeking professional help for any medical or mental health condition. Use of information in this podcast and associated materials is at the user's own risk.